Um, Layla to make it, and that's not true actually. <laughs> I am, I am, I make coffee. So my, I either make an AeroPress, so about seventeen grams of coffee in the AeroPress, um, uh, and then uh, inverted method, or I have a Chemex and do pour over um, about thirty-five grams of coffee per person. That's gen- generally gen- generally my recipe for a pour over. So, do you have a preference for dark roast, light roast? What's your favorite region? Well, I get I I have a subscription to Pact, right? Uh, so this a coffee subscription company mainly because um, it delivers coffee to me at work. I have a crappy like uh, filter machine at work because, and if I had to buy coffee from the student union like grocery shop i'd be on really really terrible coffee so it's not as wanky as it sounds i have so, so i i basically get what i'm given really um you know like you know that amazing i don't know how i think it's amazing or maybe maybe amazing is overstating it but there's that um thing that apparently if you like survey consumers you know like do like focus groups and stuff and say what kind of coffee do you like uh people will say i want dark strong like complex coffee and like look at the coffee people actually buy and it's not that at all <laughs> so you know we can add we can add advertising as well as marketing and 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 um polling to things that are bullshit to that ever growing you know, list if, if you are a coffee company and you want us to plug your products uh, hit us up at the business email it's down in the description we are Dude. open, very open to taking people's money. And speaking of money, uh, my name is Thomas Omani. <laughs> You're very welcome to Beneath the Skin, the show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing. We're now doing our latest edition on our Ink Master series, and I am joined by my esteemed co-host, the world's most expensive academic, Dr. Matt Lauder. Yeah, I'm, I'm really getting that, um, uh, that uh, oil company money, right? Like Shell. Um, and in the spirit of behind the bastard, behind the bastards, Raytheon are a big supporter uh, of my tattoo history research. Um, you know, they're really funding my lab. Uh, they are, um, yeah. You know, it's a very sweet deal. I have to say, Thomas, like several hundred thousand pounds a year. Um, and uh, if you were paying attention to the news recently, Matt was actually the consultant on the uh, Van Gogh soup attack. He uh, consulted with the oil company that sponsors that activist group and he helped them laser focus the painting that would cause the most controversy so you know we're, we're, we're getting that money we're getting that bag i helped them pick the flavor of soup what's your favorite flavor yeah, of soup, that, was, that is a really good question i like hmm i am when it comes to soup um i like a spicy soup so if i'm making my own soup like something like maybe like a Butternut squash, apple, like sweet sour thing. I love, uh, I love a um, like a minestrone. I love a chunky soup. Uh, yeah. What, what's your favourite soup, Thomas? Uh, I'm a very simple man, and it is potato and leek. Fiddle dee. Very Irish answer. Liv- yeah, living up, living up to your um, your my, my uh, lineage, my uh, lineage, your lineage. Your people, your people proudly, proudly loves 
Potato soup. Potatoes. Um, but before we get into the episode, uh, we just have a quick plug to do. Matt's book is out next week. It's out on the 27th. You can pre-order it from any good bookshop or if you want to support Matt and the show directly, if you subscribe on our Patreon, not only will you get all the great bonus content we do, early episodes, if you subscribe at the £15 tier, you'll actually get a signed copy of the book sent directly to you. So it's cheaper than buying it off Amazon, which already has a discount, and you're directly supporting the show and Matt. My ship, my, my shipping it to you might be a bit slower than Amazon uh, because I have to get the copies of the book from the publisher and then post it out to you. So if you want the book straight away, um, uh, maybe buy it directly uh, or buy your first copy directly and then buy other copies, uh, buy a copy for your friends through um, through Amazon and then subscribe for your own. Uh, but yeah, if you want a signed copy, get on the get on the the, the Patreon. Um, and I imagine it will be uh, within uh, a week or two after the release date. I'll have copies in my own hands that I can then sign and send out to you. Truth be told, uh, my computer and everything is sitting on a desk made entirely out of copies of Matt's book. And he has actually <laughs> he has taught me how to uh, copy his signature. So you're getting a combined uh, Matt's signature, but done by me when you order on the Patreon. Yeah, and in like 50 or 60 years time, it'll be like those people that collect copies of the White Album trying to work out which ones have legitimately all four signatures by the Beatles and which were all signed by John. So, you know, maybe we'll do a rare signed signed by Thomas copies of the book. And if you buy them soon, you'll also get it out before Matt makes his pivot to working for The Spectator. So I'm sure it will be worth so much more. I'm really hoping to the book for the book to be one of those books where I sign so many copies of them that the unsigned copies are worth more money. <laughs> that happens sometimes <laughs> with very vain authors. Um, but uh, also, it, uh, it will be the second most valuable book released this year, aside from the Liz Truss biography that's coming out in December, which has uh, a <laughs> its production has lasted longer than her premiership. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I really did. Anyone get a Liz Truss tattoo? That would be a good. That would be a question, wouldn't it? I suppose. Like, so Liz, we're we're recording this on the day after um our the latest one, shortest yeah, the latest one, our shortest ever serving prime minister, forty five days in office. Um, yeah, if yeah, if anyone got a Liz Truss tattoo, you know, I think that would be a real good um illustration of of the thick of the the, the fickleness. Or the, the bad idea of getting a fit tattoo of a fickle moment in time. Yes. And um, moving on from something that is a fickle moment in time to an eternal <laughs> moment in time, uh, I have caused, once again, permanent mental damage to my co-host and made him watch Ink Master. And Matt, what, I what is the theme for this week's episode of Ink Master? Well, th this week, the theme, apparently... Um, uh, increasingly tenuous and unconnected from the uh, uh, on-screen action. This week was composition week. Although you're now not just causing um, psychic damage to me, but you're also causing it to my wife and also now my co-workers. So my, my um, friend and colleague, art historian of activist art, uh, Dr. Gavin Grindon, um, came over because he was crashing over and he watched Ink Master with us. And the first thing he said when this flash challenge was revealed uh, was, that's not what fucking composition means. 
And it sort of rapidly went downhill from there. And it was also the first time. So he's a, he, like Layla, is a big aficionado of reality television. He loves uh, particularly also dating shows. So he's kind of au fait with the format uh, in general. And it was really nice to watch someone watch Ink Master for the first time and have the same reactions that I had back in week one, uh, which is like, what's this got to do with tattooing? This is like Ink Master. We've now um, coined, Layla, whenever there's a flash challenge, given, as I said last week, she thought it was like Neil Buchanan doing Art Attack. Layla says, this is an Ink Master. This is an Ink Master. This is an Ink Master. In the style of Neil Buchanan saying this is an Art Attack. I also have to add that uh, the lovely Layla also recorded Matt's reaction live on her phone and sent it to me. And let me tell you, despite the fact she missed the first 10 minutes, that last half an hour of hearing Matt lose his mind is worth gold. <laughs> Maybe I'll put it on the Patreon for like the £15 tier as well. But So it's composition week and the structure of this challenge is something that anyone who's familiar with the show has seen before. So each team is given a several panes of what I assume is plastic. I don't think they would give them actual glass. Um, no, I think it was acrylic, right? Okay, I'm pretty you're, you're sure. You're the art I'm history teacher, sure. Iden. Yeah, well, I, I'm. You know, as I said, I'm. I'm. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a critic, not a maker. Like Layla was like, yeah, that's acrylic. That's that's quite expensive, apparently. So you know, big big budget. No 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 expenses spared in the. Um, I mean, once right, once again, right, to be, you know, to get back to tattooing for a second, if I wanted to decide a drawing challenge or an art challenge for composition, you know, lay out a sleeve, lay out a back piece. Um, Here's loads of random shit that this person wants in their tattoo, you know, make that work as a coherent single design. Like there's lots of interest, like composition is a real challenge for tattooing. Um, because you're working in three dimensions, you're working um, on a surface that moves. Like compositions are, and, and great tattooing, like really great tattooing, is is always at least part of what makes great tattooing great is its composition, particularly at bigger scales. You know, when we're talking about back pieces uh, and uh, sleeves, and also things that are very specific to a body part, like a throat or a head or something or a hand. So composition is a really important thing for great tattooing, but this ain't it, chief. This ain't right? it. This and ain't also, it. this ain't it. And again, you know, Gavin watching this was like, we've had half an hour of this program so far. Why have I not seen anyone doing any toes? Um, welcome to Ink Master. Welcome to Ink Master. And like, again, the collaborativeness of this is even like, the collaboration here makes even less sense than it has done in some of the previous weeks in terms of 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 of, of collaboration because I mean we'll come to it. One of the teams did make a bit more use of some individualism in the in the finished piece, but like I, I mean, Tom, I don't I, I love tattooing and I I'm interested in tattooing. I don't want to watch a program where people paint huge bits of glass like. I just don't. Anyway, the other thing also, as, as, as it's probably, I don't know if it's, that's on the recording that Layla sent you, but it's like the human, like the scale was massive. Number one, not applicable to tattooing. The human body, by the way, Thomas, is not see-through. 
So a huge part of this challenge was layering sheets of acrylic in a dimensional cube, basically, to create a three-dimensional image, which A, is not composition, right, really. Composition is kind of an arrangement of features on a two-dimensional plane. Gavin was like, no, what you're talking about here, guys, is perspective. This is a perspective challenge. <laughs> um, and And yeah. The, the the human body's not see-through, so n- none of these skills are transferable. I have a question, a theoretical question. If the invisible man got tattooed, would his tattoos be invisible, or oh my God. would he be floating tattoos? Oh my god, that is really... I, I doesn't, um, don't different iterations of the invisible man vary on the question of whether, like, you know, like underwear, for example, like whether underwear is invisible, so, or whether whether the other thing that differs in versions of the Invisible Man is whether like food you consume is visible when it's inside your body or not. I think like that awful Hollow Man film. Uh, to, I I seem to remember that 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 was pretty hardcore. On no, we're we're invisible. I don't know. I guess I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a really good philosophical question there. Um, it's made me think much more than anything I saw in this episode. What do you What do <laughs> so, you think? Um, I I don't know. Like, if it depends philosophically on how you see tattoos, is it after tattoos are applied, do they become part of your body, or are tattoos an adornment of the skin that are separate from your body? He's showing me a book by Ed Hardy that says tattooing the invisible man. That was a, that was one of Ed, Ed Hardy's like first career retrospective catalog. Um, is called Tattooing the Invisible Man. Um, uh, yeah, that, so there we go. That was um, I think so. Probably probably Ed probably takes the um, takes the uh, philosophical stance that um, sorry, uh, I was talking away from the microphone. Then Ed probably takes the stance that the tattoos would sort of stand alone. Um, well, 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 yeah. As someone with a PhD in uh, philosophy of the body, uh, we're doing bodies and spaces, people. <laughs> um, what do you philosophically do? You see the tattoos as once they are applied, become part of the body, or are they adornment that remains separate from the body? Oh god, we'd have to do a separate episode on that. I think there was a, a guy um, who used to run BMEZing.com called Shannon Larrett. Um, we should put an episode about him. Actually, he one, at one point he was this amazing figure in tattoo and body one history. Anyway, he had loads of tattoos, and he had a chess piece in particular that was this kind of graphic scene. Um, and when he drew pictures of himself, he included some of his tattoos, but not that one. And he described that like some of his tattoos were part of him, and some of them were just adornment. So I think you can probably have both. Um, you know, some people also say. Um, and I don't think I agree with this either, but like, you know, oh, the tattoos were always there. Um, it just took the tattooist to reveal them. Like that kind of Michelangelo idea or Benini that... The, the, the no, I, I agree with that. That's, my, the that's my personal philosophy on it. Yeah, like the like the, the, the sculpture's already within the marble. You know, the, um, the, the spooky castle is already on the panes of acrylic. <laughs> it just took Creepy Jason to reveal it, you know? Yeah, so I suppose... Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to end our previous topic before we talk about it. Um, I think of <laughs> the 
line from At The Gate's first album, uh, We Are Blind To Worlds Inside Of Us, Waiting To Be Born. But anyway, on that point, we are going to talk the about... The world's greatest philosoph- creating living philosophers at the gates. Incredible band. Incredible band. Listen to that first album. Listen to Slaughter of the Soul. I was listening to it the other day. It's what I tested out my new headphones with. So, we are once again decidedly pro-wizard. We are bringing back <laughs> wizards. So... Um, you want, you have the yeah, team. It's been, it's been a very pro wizard series. Um, yeah. yeah uh, well, I've also got some qu- some quotes here, right? Um, which I've wrote down. Uh, one, um, I think was again uh, Ryan Ashley, who can be relied on in this series. To, s- I mean, I don't think it's her fault. I'm sure the producers tell her to say stuff. This isn't really an attack on her as an individual. Just the character she plays on the program. She. She is. She said, "Composition is everything," which is news to me because, like last week, I thought that um, they told us that contrast was everything. So I don't know. We're changing our mind here, people. Um, it's everything, everywhere, all then, at once. It's every, everything, everywhere, all at once. The other thing I, I wrote down was um, think. I don't know who said this. Think about basic shapes. This is the skill here. That's what composition is, apparently. Um, yeah. So. We have two teams, uh, Gian, Angel, Bob, and Tony. Uh, and on the other side, DJ, Anthony, Kate, and CJ. Um, yeah, so there we go. Those are the two teams. Um, I think both uh, evenly, ma- evenly, um, evenly matched teams. I'm trying to read my notes here. Um, composition is vital. <laughs> and then I wrote... As opposed to what? Like, <laughs> you know, in this challenge, in this... Both of us have seen some very, very badly composed uh, tattoos, so... Well, this you know. is true. But you know, it's this, this week, in this challenge, composition is is vital. Like, as opposed to all the other fucking challenges we've had where they haven't given a shit about composition, apparently. Like, come on. But funny, <laughs> like, funnily enough, I, I actually think that you are uniquely qualified in your profession to actually talk about this challenge because it is the most like painterly and artistic so they have to create perspective using several acrylic paints and so bob's team they have to they again hilariously again a, a direct quote multiple different compositions which is <laughs> again not what composition means yeah, so Bob's team, they are doing, it's kind of like a floating anatomical heart with a, what's the name of the painter? It it, remi- it reminded me so much of a specific painter. Yeah, it was like Magritte, uh, right? Magritte. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, and another, another sacred heart, right? Once again, our little, our little thesis, give a tattoo or a blank bit of paper, they'll, they'll do something very generic. Um, here we get another, I think the third or fourth sacred heart of the series. Um, yeah. So it's like a sitting room scene inside the heart. There's also like a little detail of there is a mirror on the wall with the scene replicated two more times inside the mirror. That's very Magritte. And then there's like kind of sand dunes behind it that create perspective. I thought this was cool. I thought it was like, I thought it was a good use of the material, but I think the other team kind of blew them out of the water a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like, it was... it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, the the temperature in the room in our little group watch uh, was that that wasn't 
super great. It looked, again, completely on uh, have, not having listened to the previous episodes. Gavin went, "That looks a bit GCSE," which is a which is a thing that we've said uh, over the past few weeks. Um, like I don't know, uh, like I thought number one, you know, that the heart was backwards. Creepy Jason did point out that the the heart was anatomically the wrong way round, and that's the kind of thing that in other challenges have been really nitpicked on by judges so they ignored it here um i know i I quite enjoyed it graphically um also but also i need to point out perspective wise the sitting room was at a different perspective angle than the rest of the piece so it, it like it looked really weird if you like actually focus on the viewpoint through the heart to the sitting room scene it kind of looked like it was kind of squashed or spread out a little bit. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I, th- I don't know how much of that was an artifact of the camera, and I, but I thought that kind of worked, like, in a way. But again, it's, it's not a perspective challenge. The human, like, I don't know. It was, it was all right. Like, it was, it was a nice, fun little piece of visual trickery. Is that the right way of putting it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then we move on to our uh, wizard uh painting so they they decided to do kind of like you know like a cover of a fantasy novel like a real pulp fantasy novel there's a castle in the background there's clouds there's these weird bubbles as well you know i'm gonna drop it like three seconds of dope smoker in the fucking episode now um (laughs) and like i i thought it was in terms of use of the materials they had like they were dabbing the acrylic with like cloths to get that real kind of vapory texture in the clouds. The bubbles were like a good, were, let's just call it perspective rather than composition because that's what it is. Um, really good use of like the distance between the panels to create that actual like perspective from front to back. And I thought it was really cool. That maybe that's because I'm biased towards wizards, but what did you think? <laughs> Your 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 um affirmative action for wizards. I I wrote down, I wrote down what were the bubbles that that annoyed me. Um, um. So like I think in terms of the what they were going for and kind of like mid century fantasy pulp novels, I feel like kind of goes very well with the existing style. It's you know it. What's um Frank? something is his name think of like all the like heavy metal magazine covers frank like, stuff Cos- like that. So, frank kozik do you mean um and like uh mobius like think of think of like the uh construction sketches for like yodorovsky's dune like kind of makes sense like that sort of like are they magic are they part of the atmosphere that sort of thing think of like conan covers and stuff yeah, that's not Frank Kozik, is it? That's um, Frank... Uh, I'm going to Google it because I can't remember. Frank Kozik is um, the guy that does loads of like graphic stuff. Uh, Frank Frazetta, that's who it is. Yes, Frank yes, yes. I've, I yes. follow the estate of Frank uh, Frazetta on Instagram, so I should know this. Apologies. I did, yeah, I did, is- I did say that. I, I did say it looked like... Yeah, it looked like... Which I don't think they actually were by Frank Frazetta, but they were certainly ripped off of Frank Frazetta. He may have done them. They, the, like the box art for the 1980s, like He Man toys, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Were exactly in that. Oh, yeah, and I said that like it looked like a kind of diorama for a He-Man figurine. Um, and I don't mean that necessarily critically. I've got a big He-Man figurine behind yeah, me. Yeah, He-Man. Um, we're watching Ink <laughs> Master. You boob. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, again, like I don't know. I just found it. I'm tired, Tom. Uh, I found it really hard to get excited about it because it didn't. It didn't tell me anything I didn't already know about their artistic ability. The images were fine. I mean, like like lots of the tattooing, it's fine. Um, didn't blow me away. I could, like even even Joel Madden wasn't wearing a good hat. You know, like there wasn't even there wasn't even a good outfit choice. In the mix, I yeah, I just found it really like you know, like again, I've this has been a theme over the course of the past few weeks. I, I've said I feel like the producers have lost confidence in the format of this program, and I felt like this was really a barrel. This was really a barrel scrape, really a barrel scrape in terms of like, what can we do? You know? Yeah, yeah, I I, I fully agree. But like, so it comes out that Team Wizard wins; they get the skull Team picks. Wi- who was on Team Wizards? So that was DJ Anthony, um, Katie, and, and Creepy Jason. Creepy Jason. Jason, once again, bringing yeah. the wizard magic, male witches. But <laughs> then we moved to the elimination tattoo, which as soon as I saw this, I was like, oh no, Matt needs to up his blood pressure <laughs> medication in preparation for this. You know, Matt, do you want to tell the people what? The elimination challenge is uh, J- Japanese. Japanese. Um, I am. I am very surprised they didn't like they. The producers really restrained themselves. I didn't put like a in it or like. Well, fucking nearly. So, what did they say about Japanese tattooing? Well, what was the what was the twist, right? Because of course we've got like not just Japanese Master of Chaos, guest judge, surprise judge, judge. and we're going to talk about that later. Once holy fuck, holy fuck, are we going to talk about that? Jesus Christ, are we going to talk about that? To judge, they got you know they got Horitomo, they got (laughs) you know. Uh, Horiyoshi the third, yeah, yeah, Horiyoshi the third. So this is Ami James's arena. You know, we've talked about Japanese previously on the show, but Matt, to give people a refresher, I'm giving you exactly three minutes to give everyone a rundown <laughs> of Japanese tattooing. Three minutes, starting in well, one, two, three, go. Okay. Well, look, as I said the last time this came up, um, Army James. Uh, has studied the practice of Japanese tattooing way more than I ever have, and I, I will defer to him on many things. On the history of Japanese tattooing, and particularly Japanese tattooing in relation to other tattoo histories, uh, he, I mean, it's almost worse that he claims to have studied it for so long because he's so, so wrong about... I mean, I think probably on the recording that you have from Layla... Everything he says, I'm like, nope, <laughs> uh, nope. So, okay, Japanese tattooing. Uh, Gavin said to me, first of all, and this is maybe a really interesting place to start, or hopefully, this is going to be more than three minutes, Tom, sorry. Um, Gavin said, this is going to be like last week on Bake Off in the UK, where they did Mexican Week. <laughs> um, 
and everyone was annoyed that they couldn't make tacos uh, in an authentic way. Um, Gavin uh, was like, isn't it a bit weird to call that stuff Japanese tattooing? Like naming a style after a place. Like Japan's a fairly big country. It's obviously been a, um, you know, it has a, has a has an ancient history as well as a modern history. Like it would be like calling a tradition uh, English tattooing or something when actually things are more, more interesting going on. And actually, while he is sort of correct, um, there's an interesting historical reason for why what, this show and what why what what we generally call Japanese tattooing is is Japanese tattooing. It's basically because Japan had a series of civil wars um, over the course of the kind of early Middle Ages, right the way through to the kind of 16th century, and um, that ended up with a homogenization of the country under a kind of unifying rule, and that unification essentially kind of um created or at least you know argued for a a kind of national homogeneity um there were t- there were tattoo traditions in places like okinawa uh, uh, um uh, where uh, and and amongst people like the ainu where that kind of tattooing was much more like the kind of indigenous tattooing we see in elsewhere in the pacific so black kind of Graphic, very famously, the Ainu women have these smiles tattooed on their faces in big black things. My colleague and friend Yoshimi Yamamoto has written and published a lot about um, those tattoo traditions, largely in Japanese. Unfortunately, she hasn't had much of her work translated into English. But there is a kind of you know tradition of tattooing in Japan that we don't think of when we think about what we call Japanese tattooing. There's been some really interesting like projects to reimagine some what prehistoric Japanese tattooing might have looked like uh, called the Jomon Project, which people can Google, J-O-M-O-N. But that kind of stuff that we think of as like Japanese tattooing today is very recent, historically speaking. It doesn't really exist until the 18th century, so the 1700s. We're talking the Edo Edo period around then. Basically, yeah, exactly. So it's not... um, It's not... uh, it's not this great ancient art form, right? It it, it exists um, really. It comes out of the development of woodblock printing. Um, you know, woodblock printing and 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 that as a practice in Japanese and Chinese art actually goes back a very very long way. But when we think about Japanese art potentially in the West, we're thinking of things like hokusai and um, kuriyoshi um, and, and utagawa, and like they are uh, they they are. Um, they are woodblock printing. That that tradition really isn't that old. And tattooing is basically those images coming out of woodblock printing being transferred onto the skin. Um, it, it was never a mainstream practice, in by which I mean, um, you know, like tattooing in places like New Zealand, uh, places like Fiji, places like, uh, as we spoke to, Maya, uh, the Arctic, where tattooing was part of a kind of religious, social set of set of rituals or beliefs or social customs japanese tattooing is always much more um commercialized basically i mean i'm simplifying a lot here I and mean, we can talk about this in a future episode if you're finding this interesting i'm just going to jump in we are going to do a three-part series in the new year about the history of japan so yeah we should do that so um so essentially that means that even the questions of like appropriation, because Gavin was like, also, mm, isn't it a bit weird that all these white people are 
uh, doing Japanese or you know, talking about Japanese tattoos. And like, yes, although questions of appropriation uh, are much more complicated in way, or actually perhaps even much more simple when it comes to Japanese art than it does in other contexts because it doesn't have a kind of it's not integrated into a social religious metaphysical belief that's not to say that people's religious beliefs from the religions in japan like shinto and buddhism don't feature in the iconography of japanese tattooing they certainly do but it's not it wasn't kind of mainstream part of their normative cultural practice right so uh, it's it's much less problematic, I have to say, to um, in my opinion, and you know, I'm sure other people will disagree with this, but in my opinion, it's much less problematic to get a Japanese tattoo uh, than it, as a white person uh, or as a non-Japanese person than it would be, say, to get a um, Maori sleeve or a Hawaiian uh, sleeve or something. So okay, so all that's so all that said, um, then we have you know. Um, uh, really where army james starts going really madly wrong and made me annoyed so <laughs> i think oh so <laughs> he also said this is the most difficult subject matter in the history of the competition which can't be true like that cannot be i've only seen one series of ink master but that cannot be true <laughs> uh, i like i don't think so like they've done japanese week before they've done like uh, you'll see as we dwindle down to competitors things get technically more difficult like you the scale kind of grows the intricacy of what's expected of them grows not to say that you know japanese tattooing isn't extremely you know intricate but i think the complexity kind of grows and you know we, I, I've seen a lot of Ink Master. I've seen almost all of Ink Master. And, you know, Japanese Week is usually what trips people up. So, with that all in mind, we are presented with the human canvases. Yeah. Well, so, so Army James also says um, that Japanese were the first to use color in tattooing. No. I mean, okay, let's be generous. So, Japanese tattooing has a lot, traditional Japanese tattooing pre the 19th century. So in Japan, for those of you who are listening who don't know, was closed off from the West from about 1600 to about 1858. Now that is like very rough. There, um, there was a little bit of trade in and out of Nagasaki, first with the Portuguese, then largely with the Dutch um, and a bit with the Chinese. But uh, you, Japanese people weren't allowed to leave Japan. Foreigners, almost without exception, weren't allowed to enter Japan. Um, even those tra- that trading port in Nagasaki like had little enclaves for trade to happen, and they couldn't go into the interior of the country. So Japan was like completely isolated from the rest of the rest of the world. Their tattoo traditions, therefore, you know, are quite particular. So the 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 the, the their tattoo, Japanese tattooing, big scale Japanese tattooing sleeves, back pieces, and even smaller stuff did include a lot of red, um, but really only black and red, right? It was was basically... Or you, and, you, and you, some of the tattooists whose work we know about did get gradations of tonality within that, but basically we're talking about a kind of, you know, tattooing black, so a kind of bluey black uh, and a red. Now, red tattoo ink has existed as long as black tattoo ink, probably, 
Although, you know, again, let's be really generous and steal man Army James's position. Like, Jeff, Japan, Japanese history is probably using bigger blocks of solid red than other tattoo traditions. However, all that kind of colour that we get in con- contemporary Japanese tattooing um, came from Europeans. It was Europeans, and even as late as the middle of the 20th century, that European coloured inks that were developed in Europe that were given to or, 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 or um, shared with Japanese tattooers in when they came to Europe, that then they, they then took back home. So all of the colours, like, almost got the opposite. Like, Japan didn't have coloured ink, certainly not in the modern period. Uh, it was Europeans who, who introduced coloured inks into Japanese tattooing, number one. The, the second thing he says is that they were the first to use outlines, which is, like, completely meaningless, obviously. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Um, obviously not true. Like, you know, 17th century pilgrim tattooing was obviously kind of graphic and using outlines. We've got descriptions in the uh, in the 1700s uh, using outlines. We've got, you know, like obviously like any primitive pre-modern tattoo will have been done. You know, look at the Scythians, for example, are doing stuff in, out- in outline. We talked about um, Ochibala on a previous episode. Like, this is just not, it's just, I don't know what he means. And actually, again, it's almost like the opposite in a way, because so much, um, particularly of like black tattooing, back tattooing or large scale tattooing in Japanese tattoos is negative space. So it's like the opposite of line work, right? Like those big koi and those big, um, you know, big, big compositional pieces, ironically, for this week are done not using outline, but using negative space, the opposite of an outline, I suppose. So, look, I'm not going to quibble on about him. Like, he talks a lot about rules, which frustrates me. Um, he's more hardcore, I think, on that than the tradition really suggests. But I, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with him about those details. But when he talks about the history, um, he's not correct. <laughs> Matt Lauder taking uh, shots at the sniper. So. Uh, with that in mind, Matt has talked for 14 minutes uh, about... Was that what it was? Japan. Was it? Yeah. Uh, oh about my God. Oh, I'm so sorry. 12 minutes Fuck and 45 seconds. Fucking hell. Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, <laughs> let's talk about the human canvases. So we're presented with all the skulls. People come in. So here are the canvases in order as they are presented. We have a demon woman in a kimono with horror elements, a full armored samurai with, with cherry blossoms, a full armored samurai, which is someone's first tattoo. Yeah. A Raijun banging a drum. Uh, Raijun is the Japanese god of thunder and lightning. Um, a full body food dog, a dragon, a snake woven through a Hanya mask, a crane in flight with sun and clouds, uh, and a yellow sun, which will become relevant later on, and <laughs> four koi fish plus water plus lotus flowers. So, Matt, yeah. what is your first take on these ideas? Well, okay, so I liked... Uh, yeah, we said, said this before, many of these, um, we don't hear much about or sometimes anything from the people and the stories of their tattoos. And again, it was interesting for me that one of these, one of these tattoos, the guy who wanted the koi, we got a little bit of um, uh, 
we've got a little bit of kind of, you know, narrative. We've got a little bit of Miami Ink style storytelling about w- what he thought, you know, the fish would represent. And he was like, yeah, I want the koi, five koi to represent my siblings. And I was like, yeah, because like, you know, kids like fish. 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 Kids like fish. Yeah. Um, so that was really annoying. Because I don't like that kind of thing. You know, like, obviously this guy wants a cool tattoo. Why have we got to make up a reason? Why? Oh, yeah, I want five fish because I've got five. Also, that was a really interesting insight because, cutting ahead slightly, um, uh, Anthony uh, was the one that picked this one or was given this one. And so we got a little bit of insight into Anthony's life. And he was like, yeah, I'm really happy to be doing these this meaningful tattoo on this guy because, um, you know, I also have... Um, a particular relationship with my siblings, and I was like, "What happened to your son, Anthony? We're still hearing about you know we're hearing about your sister. We still don't know, Daddy. When are you coming home? Like, I really want. <laughs> We've just forgotten. It's like it's like on um, those those sixties and seventies sitcoms in America where they introduce a younger brother. You know, is it Happy Days or one of those ones where they have it? They have a younger sibling for like two episodes, and then they just never mention them again. Like Poochie, it's like a, in the yeah, Simpsons, Poochie or or Roy, Roy. I got my own place. I'm moving in with two sexy ladies. Yeah, right. So we, we, I just feel like this is a this is a plot hole. Yeah, the producers. Yeah, they've. I, I'm really invested in 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 the slow <laughs> death. Home Alone style movie that must be happening back in Atlanta, Georgia. Jesus Christ, I'm pro wizard and Matt's pure uh, uh, pro infanticide. Um, no, I'm worried. So- I'm worried. You heard our Tattoo Children episode. I'm worried about uh, the fate of Anthony's child more so than he is. If you're not a subscriber to our Patreon for as little as five quid a month, <laughs> you can hear that Tattoo Children episode or you can hear the preview on our free feed. So the assignments are as follows. A demon woman in a kimono goes to DJ. Samurai in armor goes to Bob. Uh, the Raijun goes to Tony. Full body food dog goes to Angel. Dragon goes to Katie. Uh, the snake woven through a Hanya mask goes to Gian. Uh, Crane in flight with sun and clouds goes to Jason. And as we know, because Matt's build the beans, the koi goes to Anthony. Yes. Initial thoughts. Um, well, uh, I mean, yeah, they're all very... Um, they're all very uh, interesting designs. I think they're all pretty, you know, they have got, uh, they're pretty anchored in tradition. I think, as we'll talk about, some of them end up anchored looking in like they anchored, anchored, anchored in tradition. Half of these aren't even Japanese tattoos. I was sitting here looking at this episode and I was sh- screaming at the TV. Half of these are not Japanese tattoos. Well, they are- yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, some of them are like, I mean, some of them, yeah, like even, you know, some of them are Chinese a bit, but like, you know, Ch- Chinese, Chinese zodiac and Chinese symbology came into Japan in the 8th century. So like, you know, I can forgive that a bit. No, I'm not even talking about the actual design. I'm talking about the application of these tattoos. Oh, I am oh the application. Oh, yeah. No, the application was garbage. Uh, yeah, the application was garbage, Thomas. No, I was talking about the design choices. <laughs> oh yeah, we're, so we're we're going to talk about that in one second. But while uh, people are tattooing, uh, one Bob is doing the samurai tattoo. It's this guy's first tattoo. He's a very slight, skinny dude getting this huge tattoo on his thigh, which you know, brave. Um, Anthony 
manages to talk the guy down from doing four or four or five koi and said like we'll do one make sure to do it great and then you can come see me in my shop in arizona and i can do the rest if you want which uh, from any tattoo artist i've spoken oh, to it's arizona has... it's arizona that his child's in sorry not not yeah. atlanta and uh any uh, recently i was get when i was getting tattooed i was talking to the artist about a larger scale piece he's doing on someone and he just said yeah that dude isn't coming back he j- he's just not coming back um <laughs> we are uh, and i so i because i have a tattoo with a, with a son behind us i'm showing it right here on camera so jason did the exact same thing I anticipated as soon as this woman said yellow sun he was like he's gonna change it to a red sun because that's much more traditional in you know kind of modern in Japanese tattooing yeah. in the west so well even in even in even in old older stuff because as, as I said traditional Japanese tattooing didn't have yellow ink did have did have red ink so yeah mm. so we gotta talk about the surprise oh, guest Jesus Christ Matt, Jesus Matt. Christ Angel calls her an icon an icon right so they do this sometimes on other shows right like bring in guest judges like drag race um notwithstanding but like on a cooking show uh it's like japanese week we're gonna bring in a japanese chef it's sewing competition or pottery competition we're gonna bring in someone who's an expert like probably showdown's a good example of this like we're going to do some applique, like transferware stuff. We're going to bring in um, this person that makes applique transferware. We're going to bring in, we're doing like 60s week. We're going to bring in all Achille for the to do the pots, right? Brilliant. Really up for this. If we're going to judge this on authenticity, we're going to get in a Japanese tattooer. And I stood up and cheered when they introduced the, ja- oh, the, the, <laughs> the guest judge. For some fucking reason. She wasn't even promoting anything. Like, it's not like she had a movie out or anything. Like, why? Ruby fucking Rose, who I like. I've enjoyed her performances. You know, she's a good looking lady. Um, I, I have really enjoyed her uh, in, 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 in her many filmic uh, roles. Um, her supposed qualifications for being a judge is that she got a really bad Japanese-ish tattoo when she was 17 years old. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> underage. I, I, like, if only you could... Like, I have my head in oh, my hands mate. and I'm screaming into the mic. When it, they showed her koi fish and tiger tattoo, I was like, those are so bad. I shouldn't... Like, you should not be showing them when it's Japanese week and her, like, talking about Japanese tattooing and everything. I was like, why, why, why? This is where... Yeah. Uh, well, you could argue that Ink Master jumped the shark a while ago, but, like, why, why, <laughs> why, why? The, the, this is, like, aside from the episode next week, which I have already watched, this... I was just like, why? Like, you have... You literally have Ami James, who is by his own right, an incredible Japanese tattooer. Like, this, like, you literally could, well, I suppose you couldn't have flown Horitomo up there to look at it because he probably would have had no interest in being involved in this. But, just, why? And, like, we'll get to there her are good, in there a minute. Are good, there, are, there, are, there are loads of good Japanese and Japanese-American tattooers who are working, you know, who these guys know, who who are, you know, like, you know, people like the, the shops like State of Grace, um, 
uh, in uh, in California. Like, you know, there 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 are um, loads and loads of great um, Japanese Japanese American tailors who would be re- who would have been really great judges on this show. Um, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. I mean, James like, knows like, loads like, of like, Japanese like, tailors. Like literally, Bob is Japanese American. Like you could have just like, oh, do you like who do you think should come on? Like, I'm I'm just anyway. Look anyway. Aside from her going around saying absolutely nothing while people are doing the tattoos, let's actually talk about the critiques. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I I didn't take too many notes on exactly what the judges said because, um, you know, I. It just sort of seems so disconnected. I, I, I have thoughts on some of them specifically. Like, so Anthony's, for example, um, his poor starving child notwithstanding, like, looked to me, like, he got a fairly decent crit, I think, from um, Army, but it looked like a 90s flash sheet. Like, it looked like one of those kind of Cherry Creek, kind of weak ass, fine line 90s. Like revivification of Japanese, like we should also talk. We didn't mention this a minute ago, but like Japanese tattooing, um, you know, obviously comes into firstly, as we've talked about in other episodes, like inspires the beginning of the industry. So, kind of fine line versions of Japanese iconography is a good kind of historical, uh, you know, precedent in European tattooing. Let's do what we're doing McDonald here. episode. Yeah, this is what's on the McDonald's, McDonald's episode. Then we have like what's happening during World War II, uh, particularly with you know sailors who are obviously not in Japan, um, but where there is kind of you know increased cultural contact in the Pacific between American servicemen, uh, Dutch servicemen, uh, etc., and and those traditions and the, those designs, geishas, dragons. Um, in particular, you know, um, kind of kite, not kaiju, kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, those kind of horror, horror images. They get, um, they get kind of incorporated into into American style tattooing, you know, by people like Sailor Jerry, for example. Um, and then in the seventies, Ed Hardy, tutored by Samuel Stewart, who was an academic who was reading books about Japan, um, introduced Ed Hardy to Japanese tattooing and, and Ed in the seventies kind of re really, really brought in, um, both in reinterpretation and by working very closely with Japanese artists, as we talked to Doug Hardy about actually, uh, when we talked to interviewed him, um, brought that into the American tradition. So there are lots of waves of the interaction between Japanese tattooing and American tattooing. Um, and then basically when when that kind of 70s wave loses a bit of momentum, uh, again, it's revivified in that moment in the 90s when we start seeing um, you know, the resurgence of the of the Japanese language tattoo and stuff like that, that kind of orientalism of the, you know, if we can think about things like um uh, you know, no doubt Gwen Stefani's like weird little Japanese period, all of that stuff that kind of, and, and off the back of that, we ended up with a very weird kind of weak, kind of very genericized um, in a bad way version of Japanese tattooing. And I think that's what Anthony's look like, you know, 
very, very sort of kind of weak line weights. The shading was weird. The the water, thank God he didn't put blue water in, but, you know, they're not good, chunky, solid, traditional Japanese waves. Like, yeah, the whole thing just was a bit insipid, you know, but insipid in a way that but I, I think, again, probably to put my cards on the table, I am really dis disp- dispossessed to like or just dis- disposed to dislike. I, 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 when I was getting into tattooing, that was the stuff that was very cliched and mainstream and the stuff that I didn't want to get. So, you know, that's part of wh- where my dislike of that stuff comes from. But it's, 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 it was so, it was so weak and embarrassing, um, as far as I was concerned. Although the judges kind of liked it. So I, su- I suppose because we will have a lot more to say about the ones we didn't like who who did who did you like we'll we'll just like say who who we thought was good i thought bobs was good the color was good the line work was shaky at best that sword looked like he'd been through a thousand battles but you know whatever um angel's food dog i thought was decent with good rendition a little bit light in the shading a little bit like yeah not not, Jap- the- not japanese at all yeah in its execution, mm-hmm. I didn't look um, like a Japanese tattoo at all. Yeah, um, uh, I have. I am going to give Gian shit. Usually, I am quite pro Gian. That was not a Japanese tattoo. That was a Neo Trad tattoo that had Japanese elements. That was complete and utter bollocks. Yeah, I, I, I didn't hate it that much. I mean, but I agree with you in style wise. I thought, um, yeah, I thought like, yeah, you know. Again, like weirdly, because of the way that, again, unlike a lot of other styles, right? Uh, historically speaking, Japanese tattooing is quite influenced by European tattooing as well. Like it has this much more interestingly symbiotic relationship as Japanese art did in general for historic, you know, for particular historical reasons. So, you know, a lot of a lot of that kind of um, embrace of flat color and and and, and stuff. It goes both ways. I don't know. Like, yeah, I agree with you. It wasn't super trad. I mean, it's funny where where um, Army chooses to critique and, and uh, apply these sort of so-called unshakable rules, and when he does, <laughs> um, yeah, very see, it's, it's funny. Then, like the next two, I I want to talk about is that it kind of is that flip side of the coin. So, like um, DJ's uh, Demon Woman Kamado was really good, really good. I I don't really have a whole lot to say about that, as you know a tattoo enthusiast maybe you do as a historian but the flip side of army james's uh, critiques was tony and jason jason did a crane with a red sun behind it and some clouds this like you were saying feels very 90s contemporary modern japanese tattooing in the west like feels very you know something off a flashy yeah and that's probably okay i mean i think like you know, as I said, I I would have loved to have seen something more like okay, let's do a Japanese sleeve, let's do a Japanese back piece for composition yeah. week. Because again, composition didn't really play any role whatsoever in any of these pieces. Yeah. Oh, go on ahead. Well, Tony Tony's was a mess. Yeah, sorry, Tony, love you, but this is not. Oh, yeah, good. I love Tony. I do love Tony. Like I don't know what he he got in his own head there, really. Like. Um, the I think he admitted it, didn't he? He was trying to kind of second guess himself. Um, probably after like other critiques by Army about not following style or whatever. And yeah, like the 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 
there was not enough. It didn't have enough. It, well, as they said in the critique, it wasn't kind of big enough to be readable. It didn't really use negative space in a very coherent way. It was a bit flat, but not flat in an interesting way. Like you can use flatness quite deliberately um, in in Japanese tattooing as well as in traditional American tattooing. And yeah, he didn't. I, I it was I was really disappointed <laughs> with that actually. Um, um yeah. and then if you if you've noticed there is. A bit of an elephant in the room. It's because we have to talk about Katie. Katie's yeah. dragon tattoo. Where do we start? Well, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. So, I... F- I was reminded so much of, like, 90s and 2000s Japanese revivalism. But also, funnily enough, you know, uh, Grime, the new school artist, like, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of like that. Like, that, like, kind of nuclear toxic green, the, like, on composition week, whether you want to call it composition week or not. It was just, like, a head with the body and the arm. It felt like it didn't feel confident enough, but I think she emphasized the wrong elements in it and it just flowed weird. I thought though I thought though as a kind of from a distance I mean it was massive I was like why I don't understand the choices these artists are making in terms of size a lot of the time because she did essentially a kind of f- half, not not a half sleeve really but like a big chunky like bicep tattoo it was very big and you're not giving yourself a lot of time I thought really weirdly probably as a readable tattoo from a distance hers was probably the best because it looked like a big freaking awesome dragon and then yeah not japanese at all in terms of its composition funnily enough um as army pointed out hard to read because of the way that she'd layered the head and the body um in three dimensions in a way that didn't really make the body work um and yeah like Definitely read more like a kind of graphic, uh, like skateboard deck, um, you know, from the early 2000s rather than a tattoo. But that's kind of this kind of stuff she does. And I think I I agree with the judges' critiques. Um, and particularly when you got up close, you saw sort of how quickly it was done. Um, but yeah, like I think actually weirdly it was a better tattoo than I think the, the criticisms gave it. But while still, I think the criticisms were fair. So here's... Here's something that Gavin said. So as I said, last week when he came over, we watched um, The Tattoo of Us, which is that show on MTV, where pretty good tattoo artists, I have to say, give people horrible tattoos. And by horrible, it's generally horrible in terms of subject matter. You know, it's like jokes. I mean, it's, it's horrible, like jokes made by their friends. But Gavin said to me after watching Ink Master that he thought that Ink Master was more unethical than... <laughs> The tattoo of us, because at least with the tattoo of us, there's a kind of like everyone's they know they're going to get something silly or, you know, they trust their friend. The tattoos in general on that show, some of the artists on that show are stellar good. I mean, I'm annoyed that they put their talents to such horrible use, but like those tattoos generally are quite well done. As we've said in previous weeks, and this is what really upset Gavin, and I think he was talking particularly about Katie's tattoo when he mentioned this, actually, which is why I mentioned it at this point of our conversation. He was like, yeah, that person's got a got a bad tattoo now, and the whole format of the show is set up to give people bad tattoos, and that seems 
and again, we said this in previous weeks, but it was interesting that sort of unbidden, uh, um, a colleague of mine whose opinion I really respect art historically, he has tattooed himself as well, um, was, was and, and he thinks a lot about the ethics of media, like one of the things he teaches. So he was he was really struck by, particularly on that tattoo, you know, which could have been s- such a good piece if Katie had had a day or two days to outline it on one day, shade it on a second day, colour it on a third day, you know, like back in my day, young man, like that would have been a three day, three session tattoo, even at that size. Mm. And um, this is a, uh, but funnily enough, as we are touching on this at the end of this episode, this is something we're going to talk about a whole lot more next week. Okay. Yeah. So Tom's, we're, obviously we're a bit behind on the schedule because of my scooter accident. So, um, uh, we're slightly behind, or I'm slightly behind on things. Tom's already seen next week. So. And I haven't yet. No spoilers. So I get to uh, enjoy in real time Matt's pain. But if you could have guessed, Katie goes home. Katie goes Katie's home. gone. What do we think about Creepy? So I think Creepy Jason should have gone home. He was my pick to go home because yeah, I- it was small. It was really, really badly tattooed. Like technically, it was garbage. He was wearing good shoes. Best outfit of the episode, I have to say. Was he, wear- was he wearing those bi- those white boots? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had his white boots on. Uh, no, 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 no. He had yellow boots on in the second in the second part of the uh, of the episode. Um, so he won. He won my heart footwear wise. But yeah, that crane was considering it was small. Um, could have been beautiful, solid, clean. Like I think with even with the same design like someone like tony or certainly bob would have done a lovely job with that and and with jason it was just it was clumsy rushed um yeah i he katie's i thought was a good a good enough tattoo although flawed in all the ways that the judges said i thought jason hit the brief probably a bit more in terms of doing something that was japanese but it was definitely not a good tattoo and we've seen Again, this is just the thing of reality shows. It's not really an Inkmaster criticism. But we've seen in previous weeks that they don't really seem to apply the judging criteria evenly. You know, sometimes it's like, you didn't hit the brief, you're going home. Sometimes it's like, you hit the brief exactly, but you did a bad tattoo. You're, you're, it's the quality that's sending you home. So um, I would have, although CJ, as we're calling him now, um, was close to the brief, I think it was... In my opinion, at least objectively, the worst tattoo on that mm-hmm. lineup. No? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, as we're coming to the end of this episode, what? who who do you think is in the front running now to win? We're getting closer and closer to the end now. We are. I mean, once again, I think we're seeing the stylistic narrowing, um, which seems like a really undesirable feature of this program doesn't happen in other reality shows either interestingly you know you don't end up on bake off with every all the time the people that are best at bread winning right um it seems like there's a real stylist the challenges and the judging and the criteria and the even the casting of the show are set up to reward a very particular kind of you know not even neo traditional kind of illustrative you know uh, 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 tattooing and I think on that front oh get Paul Hollywood on uh, Ink Master no <laughs> yeah as a guest judge is shite your line work yeah. too thin you call oh, this Japanese 
That would be real. That would be real master of chaos, wouldn't it? Like, I'd respect that. I'd respect that. I just bring on. Like, I also there was um there was also a, a great there's a great subreddit uh called Kitchen Confidential, which is like one of those like you know behind the scenes subreddits where, where chefs talk about things that happen to them. And they said they really want to do a reality show, which is more like working in a restaurant, right? Which is where you cook and then the judges are just random members of the public and like you can be thrown <laughs> out, you know, like you can be eliminated, you can make the most perfect dish, but like the customer you've got given like hates shellfish, right? Or wants their steak cooked like far too or far, far more than the chef would feel comfortable cooking it. And because they're like, that's quite real. I can make the most perfect dish, but I can have a dickhead of a customer. And I feel like I'd respect the Dave Dave Navarro, the master of chaos, if he um if he did something like that. You know, brought in some random like my mum, like bring my mum in, fucking Ruby Rose, Jesus Christ. So I think, yeah, I th- I think I think we're really looking at uh one of Bob. Gian or DJ to win. I think if it's any one of those other, if it's one of, if it's not one of those three, uh, I will be very surprised. See, I, I definitely Bob and DJ. I think Gian is showing his artistic flaws at the moment that he is quite narrow in like every tattoo he's done the past couple of weeks. It's just a neo trad tattoo with the elements of the challenge. I think if Angel gets a couple of good challenges come her way i think she could be in the final like she got to the final in the last season so you know i think yeah she's made a couple of mistakes and stuff and had some not so great tattoos but i think if she gets the i don't like jason's not going to get to the final i don't know if anthony's going to get there um based on knowledge that i have of next week i hope not i hope he doesn't i hope he doesn't because his child is going to starve to death so oh, I really think how much hope food we, he could we buy eliminate two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> well, that was the, wasn't that the calculation of why he stayed in the program? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I have been Tom, joined by Matt. This is Beneath the Skin. If you enjoy the show and you want to hear more, you can check us out on Patreon. We have bonus episodes. You can get episodes early, and if you subscribe. Uh, for as little as £5 a month, you get all that. If you subscribe at £15 a month, you can get Matt's signed book, Painted People, sent directly to you. And you get to help out with the show. You can find us online uh, at Beneath Skin Pod on Twitter. And, you know, if you don't necessarily have the spare cash, I know everyone's kind of going through it right now to support the show financially, leave us a review or share an episode with one of your friends, you know, who knows? People might like our diatribes about the tattooed invisible man. But from me, Tom, thank you very much. Matt, where can people find you? Obviously, we've plugged the book multiple times. Yeah, buy the book for more about Japanese tattooing, the history of Japanese tattooing uh, as it relates to uh, Europe and America, um, amongst other things. Uh, I am at Matt Lodder on Twitter, at Matt Lodder on Instagram, um, Semaphore, uh, Flugelhorn, uh, yodeling um, didgeridoo any kind of long distance communication device scream and I will come a running and if you say tattooing is now more acceptable than ever three times in the mirror <laughs> at midnight Matt will appear stay tuned next week for our Halloween special talk to you soon bye bye, bye.